Hello there, everybody. Uh, welcome to episode 11. Episode 11. Dun, dun, dun. I know. <laughs> who'd, have th- who'd have thought we'd still be talking to each other, Beck? <laughs> it's amazing. I've, I've not been able to work with anybody else for that long before without <laughs> upsetting them. Um, episode 11 of Cyber Warrior Princess, the festive Christmas edition. Woo! Yippee! That's, uh, that's Becky Pinkard. Or Becky Pinkard, as we call her in the UK. Um, And I'm Vic Baines. And um, we're going to be talking about the the usual random nonsense, but we're going to try and make it, yeah, suitably festive. Jolly. With Chris, I might might sing some carols if, if, you know, if you annoy me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And and actually, you know, let's get on. So, Beck. Are you a fan? I'm I'm finishing a mince pie, but yeah, whatever. Go ahead. Let's kick it off then. Are you a fan of Christmas carols? (laughs) I love Christmas carols, yeah. So, Beck, what have you been doing with yourself? I heard a rumour. I heard a rumour that you'd been to Bletchley Park. Well, I had been to Bletchley Park, actually. My very first time, finally been. I've been desperate to go and I've 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 been invited a few times. I had to turn down a few times. Finally was able to go and uh it was just everything I hoped for. I mean, I was like a kid in a candy store. You've never seen a bigger geek show up to that train station. I was taking selfies outside the train station with like Bletchley in the background. It was the train station for Pete's sakes. I hadn't even made it into the park yet. I was in like in the park. I didn't even want to get out of like the gift shop. I was so impressed with like those bits. And then I got into the actual park itself and saw the house and the little huts. And oh yeah, I was just a kid in the candy store. It was brilliant. I wish we had video because uh, my mouth has just, my jaw has just dropped. I've never been. Right? What? I have never been. I know. I've You're never a horrible been. geek. And you said to me, you just said to me that they have a gift shop. Yeah, they do. They what can you buy? What can you buy? Pretty much anything with what appears to be code on it, which we all know, of course, is not actually real code, but made to look to the average, innocent, non-technical person like it's code. <laughs> What, the kind of like dit, dit, dot? Yeah, like just like, yeah, just like numbers, like random numbers. Like um, I, I was there um, as part of a panel and they gave us all umbrellas that have random numbers all over them. But it says Bletchley Park on it. So I was like, I'm having that. <laughs> did you? Did you buy Did you buy me a pencil? I didn't buy nothing. I don't have time to do any of that. Are you kidding me? Oh, now, now she tells me. I knew you were going to Bletchley Park. I asked you to do a little recording and you didn't even bring me a freaking pencil. <laughs> you can have my umbrella. How about that? <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. I got to see the <laughs> – I was rather excited because I had, like, literally 10 minutes and then I had to dart for the train, and I thought, oh, I'm going to go try and find the um, – you know, the big, the, um, and, oh gosh, I'm blanking on the name of it. The big machine. Um, the, enig- the Enigma machine. Well, yeah, the thing that Turing worked on. Oh, you mean the bomb? Yes, the bomb, the bomb. How could I forget that? <laughs> Shows you how bad my memory is. Anyway, so I, I went, I sniffed around, tried to find the hut, you know, keep it in mind I'm stressed about missing my train because I was getting back for like a board meeting. And anyway, so I went into a hut and I got super excited and then I got up close and realized it was like cardboard cutouts pasted to like steel racks to represent what the bomb looked like. So I said, oh, well, screw it. And I took a lot of pictures of that and read a bunch of history about that in like, you know, six and a half minutes and then legged it to the train. What? Uh, That's disappointing. That's disappointing. 
I know. Well, look, I tell, so I, what it does remind me of, I've been to the Computing Museum in Mountain View. Oh, that's pretty cool. That sounds really and cool. They've got, like, when you said the bomb, I thought of what they've got there, which is they, they've reconstructed, well, they call it one of Babbage's, but let's say it's Ada Lovelace, um, one of the difference engines. They've oh, built one of the difference engines. That's so and it's, cool. It's so steampunk and ratchety. It's it's absolutely, you can just watch it. It's like watching pinball or a pachinko machine. You can just stare at it and just, it's mesmerizing. Um, I'm just fascinated. I'm fascinated by all of it. I mean, just the fact that they could do what they did in that day and age and the amount of sheer brain power that it, I mean, obviously we still have to have brain power to do what we do today, but I don't know, it just seems much more technical and fluid and all nice curved shapes and everything, whereas everything in those days smelled a lot more like a warship. (laughs) You say that, but have you seen pictures of quantum computers? (laughs) True story, actually. (laughs) They're all bits of twangy metal, aren't they? Which, and they look to me, I look at that and I think we've not come that far from the difference engine ever. <laughs> oh, yeah, but it's super cool, twangy metal, right? So that's the it, it, it is doing wondrous things. And talking of wondrous things, what do you normally get up to at Christmas, Beck? Well, I uh, yeah, a bunch of family stuff, really. It's all about family time, isn't it? So, um, of course, we got three kids, so it's all about spending time with the kiddos and making all their little dreams come true and trying to, you know, work on keeping the magic of Christmas alive for them and the ever uh, uh, increasing onslaught of me media and their little friends with their big mouths um so yeah just really oh, a lot are, we of time. Talking, are we talking about santa yeah talking about the big man himself oh. <laughs> so we've got how long, how, how long do you think that's gonna last like have you got to kind of keep a lid on it Oh yeah, definitely. Well, we got one. We got two believers now, one non-believer. So we've got uh, the non-believer bought into the whole. I'm. Oh, that's this. tricky. Yeah, he's helping to spread the magic of of Christmas now, is what we call it. So he he's in on the act. But um, yeah, when he gets, I mean, he's you know prepubescent. He's like twelve. So when he gets irritated and annoyed, then he just wants to leak secrets. So it's like you keep your mouth shut, Mister. <laughs> Well, I think he's got a great future ahead in cybersecurity. I'm just saying, <laughs> or as a politician, one or the other. Or, or as which. a politician, not not that we're politically jaded this week at Let's all. Not talk about politics this week for the love of all no. that is unholy. This is this is a politics free zone, except for the fact that we're referring to it now. <laughs> um, so uh, so. Um, you should ask me what I'm doing, Beth. Well, I wanted to, but I know you've been doing lots of, you know, like things darting all over the countries and, you know, talking to all your super secret peeps. And I you know, I just don't know if, you know, maybe I'm too common to hear what you've been doing. I, I do have friends who are super secret peeps, but that's not what I want you to ask me. I think you should ask me what I'm gonna planning to do for Christmas. What are you planning to do for Christmas, Dr. Baines? I'm planning to eat a lot of cheese. Possibly my own body weight in cheese. That's <laughs> that's the plan. And you know, I might go. I might go outside. I might go outside for a, a walk, um, a cheeky little jog down the beach. Um, there might be some folk singing <laughs> if if people are really really unlucky. Well, and um, I might I might catch up on my music practice with my little Appalachian Mountain dulcimer. Look it up, friends. <laughs> um, 
and that's and I'm actually really really looking forward to not doing very much at all but yeah 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 you know it's it's this time of year, isn't it, when, you know, everybody's manically trying to get hold of presents. And I don't know about you, but I have been particularly struck, um, certainly in the last few years, but it seems to have really accelerated this year, the proliferation of smart toys oh, uh, and smart everywhere. devices. Now, every, everything is intelligent. Uh, there's a there's a, a an intelligent electric toothbrush being pushed on the TV at the moment, and seriously, how intelligent does your toothbrush have to be? Well, you know, are you brushing too hard? Are you brushing too soft? You know, what's the average duration of your brush? <laughs> well, if you can't count to two minutes and you don't know how to and you don't know how to not hurt yourself, you're probably an idiot, aren't you? <laughs> I this is not a question I can answer as my wife has one of these toothbrushes so I'm on really shaky ground here. What an intelligent one or just a, just a, an electric one. She she's got one of these that like basically flashes red if she brushes too hard and the dentist told her she had to have it because she's basically brushing her gums away. <laughs> Well, I like her industry. I do. I think she's. I think she's applied herself very well to cleaning her teeth. <laughs> don't, don't worry. I I really take the Mickey out of her quite a bit about it because it basically just flashes red the whole time she brushes her teeth. So, <laughs> so she's not learning. She's not learning. Um, so, uh, so I will be getting. I will be getting my husband a book. That's what we do. We do books and. Um, that's about that's about as well it, it's 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 the opposite of artificial intelligence really isn't it um, <laughs> but that's because you're both, you're both quite techy though as well so I, th- I find that when you are techy by nature you have a tendency to, to I think sort of it seems like generally stay away from then technical gifts and things like that whereas I think if you're not perhaps so technical by nature you're more of one of these people that's like yeah give me all the tech gadgets when they come out <laughs> oh do you think so I, I I wonder if that is the case that we're also a little bit um desensitized aren't we to tech in a way in that you look and you go yeah it's not it's not generalized artificial intelligence so you've not impressed me yet um <laughs> come back come back with skynet and then i'll be impressed <laughs> that's right right <laughs> give, give me a quantum computer in my pocket and then we're talking <laughs> i just don't think they're going to do those at john lewis i just don't think they are argos maybe yeah. um so so we've been, you know, thinking because we well, there was a, a new witch report out this morning about um, uh, smart speakers and um, karaoke um, singing doodars and they're smart because, you know, you pair um, your phone with them through Bluetooth, et cetera, et cetera. And they've been – it's very timely. I don't think it's a coincidence at all that they've um, put out this new report um about oh that was it um it was a kid's walkie talkie um saying that you can um intercept and interfere with the signal um and that you can um pair another device with one of these walkie talkies when it's brand new 
um, and like unauthorized adults could speak to children. And we've we've had a few of these over the last few years, haven't we? And oh, Ken yeah. Monroe, Ken Monroe from Pentest Partners. Hi, Ken is the you know the the hero of the hour when it comes to finding vulnerabilities in. Things like my friend Kayla, the talking doll that he managed to right, uh, yeah, get yes. get to say inappropriate things. <laughs> um, I did that once with one of those little caterpillars, but it was the caterpillar that had the um, all the little feet around the bottom of it that um, had the latches on it. It wasn't paired to anything, but I figured out that if you press the SHIT really quickly, you could make it basically say, you know, a Nazi word. And... Um, yeah, at the time, um, thankfully, the baby was quite young. This was like a decade ago. So did make a big impression on him. But <laughs> so, so would you say that was one of your greatest achievements, the sweary caterpillar? It pretty much was in terms of like hacking the baby toys. I mean, that's about as technical as I ever got with it. <laughs> So I think what's been really interesting with uh, some of the work that Ken's been doing is that it's actually had a an impact, right? So because they were able to identify these vulnerabilities and more importantly, exploit the vulnerabilities, because it's one thing saying that something is vulnerable. It's another thing having a, a, a an actual case study where you interfere with it, right? Oh, where yeah, 100%. Yeah. Where you demonstrate the vulnerability. And that led to... Um, the German network authority um, basically banning my friend Kayla in Germany and and effectively ordering parents to destroy my friend Kayla because it was deemed to be a surveillance device. Oh, I think I heard about this. Was this was that last year actually? Uh, it was a couple of years back. That one. Yeah, a couple of years back. I remember um, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh 2017 um, and, yeah 2017 yeah and we've had and we've had a few things since then i mean as some of it gets a bit confused doesn't it so do you remember a few years back vtech the big smart toy company they had a huge data breach um which i think to, you know there was a lot of coverage of that it affected confidence because we were talking not just about parents data but children's data everybody's naturally a bit more sensitive about that um but the smart stuff um, seems to me to be coming down to a, a, a number of recurring issues. And one of them is, you know, has the device that you are connecting to that's using your home router, et cetera, et cetera, does it have a password? Yeah. If it, if it does have a password, is it admin admin? Is it a, fa- a factory yes. setting? Yes. In which case, you know. You can you can change that, get a password on it, and then a lot of it also seems to be coming down to pairing, yeah. and quite often it's Bluetooth pairing. Yeah. Um, and well, so it, you know, yeah, I was sort of saying the apps themselves. So whatever they're pairing to, obviously that's it. Yeah, um, you you've just reminded me, and I just uh, did a quick Google to to get the name of it because I couldn't remember it, but it it just came out a couple of weeks ago. This um, IoT smartwatch. It was a kid smartwatch. And basically got recalled because it was exposing kids' um, personal uh, GPS data. Did you hear about that yeah. one? Yeah. yeah, and I yeah. think that was Germany again as well, wasn't it? That they 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 banned. I think it was the consumer ombudsman, and I know that Norway's been involved in some of this as well. The consumer ombudsman there, um, basically banning the retail of, of of some of these items. 
Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's talking about, I'm just looking, let's see, yeah, this says researchers with AV test in Germany said they discovered personal information of smartwatch users, including real-time GPS position data sent by the children's watch, uh, was left unencrypted via publicly accessible web API. Come on, man! <laughs> so this so this raises a kind of a, a side issue. Um, so I've been thinking and writing quite a bit over the last couple of weeks about stalkerware. Right. Mm, yeah. And stalkerware tends to denote, um, you know, uh, tracking of adults' communications and physical whereabouts and right. the kind of, and it misusing in coercive control, et cetera. Yeah. But the kind of the good fairy version of stalkerware are some of the parental control apps. Oh, yeah. That are designed to, you know, um, ensure your child's physical safety, online safety. And they're still quite controversial, I think, in the sense of, you know, children have rights too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and while they, you know, rights are applied differently to children because uh, they also need to be protected until the age of 18, you know, they also have a right to privacy and privacy from their parents sometimes. And, and, and I think that's something that we don't always debate about enough publicly. You know, we don't have these intelligent conversations or informed conversations, let's say. And we don't hear from everybody in society about, about what is appropriate. We get a, a rather polarised debate between uh, well-meaning but mm. perhaps quite hardline child protection advocates in some cases. Yeah. Um, and the idealist tech of, oh, we've made a new thing. You'll want this new thing. Yeah. Um, and to your, you know, to your smartwatch th- uh, piece, you know, th- I'm sure that the people who uh, develop those and design those um, had the best of intentions. Um, but that lack of understanding about how it, it might contravene children's privacy and also how it might actually put them at risk. Well, that's um, it. It's the putting them at risk thing, I think, that is the, um, the the real concern that is oftentimes, I wouldn't say overlooked, more of, um, well, I guess overlooked. It's just not necessarily thought about, again, because if you don't come at it from a technical mindset, you know, it's just sort of like, oh, the magic that makes it work, you know, so that I understand where my child is and if they're safe or not. And I think a lot of parents definitely aren't looking at it from the perspective of, you know, my child under the age of, I mean, I would say 16 probably, but, you know, doesn't necessarily deserve any privacy. My child, my rules type of thing. And I think that's where it also gets tricky, but I don't think we're ever going to change that. Like, I don't think we're going to come up with, I think we are sooner to come up with a global agreement around how we do like all of security properly before we could agree on privacy of children and get any sort of global agreement or understanding around that. Yeah. Good luck with that girl. (laughs) Um, I've just been I've just been writing about um, cyberspace treaties cyberspace treaties wow sounds very tricky that's a that's a whole nother podcast but one thing I I did do um, a couple of weeks back is I was at the Council of Europe octopus cybercrime conference uh, in Strasbourg and it, it Every year, every year it's the same. And it's, this is your fault because you mentioned about global consensus and yeah. stuff. Every year, um, and it's just, and it's, you know, it's, it's public, so I'm not kind of uh, betraying any confidences here. But what happens is 
there's a discussion about a cyberspace treaty or some kind of um you know acceptance of the the rules and norms in cyberspace yeah um Russia will get up and say we want a cyberspace treaty and um we've got together with a certain number of other countries um to uh, develop some norms in cyberspace and then everybody else goes no that's a terrible idea <laughs> and and then the US will do the formal response saying with respect sir that's a terrible idea <laughs> and it's it's like um it's it's like watching your favorite christmas tv program every year you know it's like all right so we're here it's late november we're here for this conference uh, oh russia's said something don't worry the us will say something in a second <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it reminds me of kind of uh we our favorite phrase again beck the the attempts to avoid thermonuclear war. It <laughs> reminds me of the kind of Star Wars standoff in the 1980s. It's it's exactly yeah. that. But we're talking about cyber now instead of nuclear proliferation. Yeah. But it's it I mean, isn't that also simultaneously depressing? It's like when are we ever going to evolve beyond that? Because I really think that we actually do need some sort of, you know global treaty or global understanding or global realization of cooperative effort in order to do, you know, security properly. and to Yeah. And uh, so what I'm seeing is um, certain countries leading the way. And I know it's easy for us to say, oh, the UK is leading the way. I mean, they quite often make a start with initiatives that can then be copied by other countries and, and not in a not always in a or we know best kind of a way, but if we're thinking about IoT security, mm. so the National Cybersecurity Center um, came up with what I believe was at the time the very first code of practice on consumer IoT security aimed at providers and manufacturers to say, right, if you are going to um, develop this kind of produce this kind of technology and make it freely available, then it needs to have a password. It needs to have a secure Bluetooth connection, you know, right, and, and, right. And, and all of that. The only thing, and I think this is, speaks exactly to your point, is well, that's fine if you're a manufacturer in the UK. Right, right. But but the NCSC can't force manufacturers in China to put passwords on their security cameras that everybody's going to be getting for Christmas or, but is is it not a little bit like, like with GDPR, right? So if, you know, U S people want to use UK people, European people's data, then they need to follow GDPR or they just do what a lot of people, the States do. They like put the banner up. This is, I'm sorry, you can't see this website because we're too stupid to figure out how to do GDPR. Um, but it seems like at least if we had these regional attempts at it, you know, that potentially we could we could get a little bit further over the line. So, yeah, to the best of my knowledge, this particular code of practice is not legally binding. Uh, but right. it's standard. But what it could what it yeah, what it could be is a, a kind of a model for other countries. And like you say, regional, you know, for the for the EU to bring something in that is legally binding. Uh, And particularly where you've got very, very strong countries like Germany, large, strong country, privacy-minded, has 
already has a track record and precedence for um, regulating against this stuff, right? Um, then you know, I I I think that could be very positive. But um, the reality is that we've still got. I think this there was a another. Um, I think it was a witch report again um, that there were fifty thousand. Um, Chinese manufactured, uh, you know, cameras that are supposed to be like your little security web camera mm-hmm. um, that are, are are completely unsecured. Oh so- yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, I think I think that type of thing's a dime a dozen, especially when you start to look at some of the cheaper stuff that's out there. Um, you've actually just reminded me as well. One of the things that I'd been reading about, uh, again, thinking about Christmas, right, and thinking about gifts for people. Um, the um, uh, someone in the family, I won't name names this time. I'll get in trouble. Uh, but someone in the family was wanting one of these um, uh, Alexa, Google. Um, home echo things and so i've been researching that <laughs> you sound so untechy when you uh, said that is absolutely brilliant do you know why there's literally there's literally like 60 different versions of these bloody things i mean i've been trying to research them and i started like i was looking up alexa and then i started looking up the google home thing and then i've started looking okay what are apple doing and i kid you not if you look at echo it's like echo dot echo spot echo pop Echo Dot, Echo Dot Spot Pot, you know, there are literally 37,000 different echoes alone. And so I don't know how anybody <laughs> with, with you, you know, know if, if I, if I were going to invent some kind of home assistant, you know what I'd call it? Well, I dare ask what? Susan. <laughs> There for a minute I was worried you were going to say Becky, and then I was like, no, it's not Becky anymore. It's Karen now. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I would, and this is no no offense to anybody called Susan, but I just, I would take a really ordinary name, you know, just like a normal <laughs> name or, or something real, or you could, you could do it so that it's really, really stupid. No, right? like, as in, like, yeah, Nathan- you- Nathaniel. <laughs> Oh, that's not very nice. <laughs> no, it's um, not a stupid name. It's just like not very common, right? Or like Beauregard. <laughs> Beauregard. Do you know he was? As you know, I'm a great fan of the Muppets. He was one of my. Fa- he would. Do you remember? He was the guy that used to sweep the stage. He was the janitor, the, the caretaker at the Muppet Theatre. Beauregard. What a what a beauty! I've got a vision of him now, and it's immediately lowering my blood pressure it's well, a calming effect and you're Muppets. welcome see that's what i do for you i'm here for you like that giant i would giant comforting muppet. i would <laughs> a giant comforting muppet um in 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 the week that of course bless him big bird died oh bless him yeah oh. i read about that that's horrible i loved big bird when i was like four. Oh, i swear i don't think i've grown out of that i think that's <laughs> And that could be my one of my one of my problems. Um, so I I think we've you know there's a certain amount of mileage in um, naming one of these home assistants after something that you really don't want to have to say something just a bit weird. So I would possibly call one parsley. <laughs> so you'd have to say 
parsley <laughs> dim the light. But do you think, so right, in, uh, back to slightly more serious, but one of the things I was really intrigued by in all of the, you know, all of the, I don't know, 45 minutes I've spent researching it so far, but one of the things I was really interested by is they were talking about the different amounts of sort of actual AI and work that's been put into um, the voice realization and the, um, you know, the integration with making uh, and, and being able to answer requests and so being able to receive, you know, and understand what's being said and then properly answer something. Yeah. And so one yeah. of the things, for example, I didn't realize is like the Alexa, you have to have an app and then in the app, you apparently have to tell it, you know, like I want to do these types of things and these types of questions. Whereas like the Google one, for example, Google is all about, you know, they have built the sort of serious back end. They're more into the whole AI thing. Um, different articles are saying, you know, look, if you really want to work with something that's most likely going to evolve uh, a lot more, I guess, progressively or phenomenally or whatever on the AI front, you know, look at Google. But I'm just fascinated by the fact that um, one of the problems that they'd run into was, you know, them waking up to things that weren't their name or, you know, recording when they weren't meant to be recording. And then the company's blaming it on, oh, well, it misunderstood its wake up word, you know, and it like misunderstood. Yeah. I, I have to read this to you. Let me find it. Um, let me see if I still have it here. One of the things that I'd read was, you know, one of these where the, um, the device, and uh, I think it was an Alexa device, had actually like taken someone's um, saved voice files and then message them. Here it is. Uh, here you go. This is it. You'll love this. Um, in Portland, Oregon, a woman discovered that her echo had taken it upon itself to send recordings of private conversations to one of her husband's employees. In a statement, Amazon said that the echo must have misheard the wake word, misheard a request to send a message, misheard a name in its contacts list, and then misheard a confirmation to send the message all during a conversation about hardwood floors. <laughs> <laughs> so, come on i love that it made me laugh so much when i read that because <laughs> you you immediately want to pass it and go right hard wood <laughs> floors and um, so so that's a lot of false positives isn't it <laughs> yeah but the other thing then that i had read again in my you know extensive research is that something like one in four americans has one of these types of devices um a home you know smart home device like in their home now that's insane. that's amazing that well, is amazing i mean and, and you know yeah when we were um and of course i've i've had experience of of this from the side of law enforcement interest in this data right and we yeah. had the amazon amazon fbi case with you know the fbi um getting a court order um to get hold of the echo data yeah um and and it, there's a lot of there's a lot of assumptions being made but equally um i can totally see why law enforcement has an interest in this stuff because it's, you know if the if it is the case that when it's awake, a device like this is recording um, and and keeping um, what you're saying to it. And there has been evidence, hasn't there, I think, with at least one of the home assistants that they've been recording the data for training purposes as well, you know, and that and that humans have been listening in for quality review, which is absolutely oh, yeah, not that's, what, yeah, yeah, what that's people would be expecting. Yeah, yeah, there's lots of news about that, yeah. Then it's of course it's inevitable that law enforcement's going to go. 
well, you, you keep it. So can we have it? And, you know, and the Amazon FBI case, that was about a murder. So a really, really serious crime. I yeah. get it. Yeah. Um, due legal process, etc. But at the same time, you know, just a few days ago, we've got the FBI issuing an alert to people with all of these devices. And, and um, I have to repeat it because we were we were talking about this before we went on air. We sound so professional when I say that. Um, that um, the, the FBI says, quote unquote, um, hackers can use an innocent device to do a virtual drive-by of your digital oh, life. God. Unsecured devices can allow hackers a path into your router, giving the bad guy, because it's there's only one, <laughs> access to access to everything else on your home network that you thought was secure. Are private pictures and passwords safely stored on your computer? Don't be so sure. Oh, dun, wow. dun, dun. Good Lord. I hope that has a so, hacker picture with a hoodie on it as well. And lots of zeros and ones. <laughs> um, there's, but, you know, I just, you know, I've got this particular interest in scaremongering around cybersecurity. Rhetoric, I know you it's know, called. Uh, it's re- it is rhetoric. You 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 remember. I'm training you well. I'm pleased. See? It's had an impact. Well, listen when you talk, Vic. <laughs> listen to this. No, but listen to this. Secure your network. Here's a suggestion. Secure your network. Your fridge and your laptop should not be on the same network. What? Why? Because keep my- your most private sensitive data on a separate system from your other IoT devices. Oh God! I mean, okay, that's great, and I I could totally get behind doing that, right? But I'm I grew up for you know major geek. I totally used to do that type of stuff. Even I, I don't have time to bloody do that. You think some Joe Schmo down the street is going to create segregation in their home network? What they're going to do? Air gap it? <laughs> One in four Americans are going to have to do that. And and there's going to be more of us, right? So um, one of the things Ken Monroe did was he he, uh, exploited a vulnerability in a quote-unquote smart kettle. And um, I just, I love this idea. I'm sorry, I know it's wrong, but it is the absurdity of it. You know that your fridge might kill you. Oh God! Um, yeah. And and all of this, I just I think we've got to get back to basics on this one, haven't we? Because you know these smart toys, kids are going to want them. Of course they are. You've yeah. got to manage. You've got to manage that expectation and that desire. And yeah. and you know when um, when vulnerabilities were identified in the smart Furby that was. <laughs> was really really popular a year or two back you just think well what's the alternative are you just not going to get it for your kid when that's the thing they've got their heart set on yeah um it, it's about it i suppose it's you know when we when we talk all highfalutin about the um the tension between risk-based and controlled-based cybersecurity approaches really this is it in action in a consumer and yeah. a retail setting that mm-hmm. well you do your best you you see if you can get a password on it you make sure that you've got antivirus on your home network and you know that that you're scanning just like basic digital hygiene and yeah. and then you hope then you hope that you, you know, your Furby is not going to go rogue. Uh, but is that, you know, what's interesting, I mean, is, is this what we're eventually going to end up? So basically, if you have a bank account, for example, right, um, 
financial services companies are going to be held to regulatory standards to help make sure that your service is available, that it's secured, that you have, you know, what the whole SCA stuff that's come out, secured customer authentication, right? The new components to that. But if you're a retailer, you could just sell any old crap. I mean, is that what it's going to come down to? Or do you think that we'll eventually have to see retailers are going to have to have some sort of regulatory, um, uh, you know, overlord as well, who's going to have to come down on them and say, you know what, here are the standards that you have to meet in order to be able to sell to the public and, and to provide mm. these services to the public. Because I mean, that's what it feels like. We've got precedents for this, haven't we, with things like kite marks, um and and you know kind of universal standards for the physical product safety right right, right so right. it seems to me that we just it, we've got an opportunity to extend this to cyber and and digital security and safety um but you know as we've seen with other attempts to move something from the physical sphere to the online you can't just get a bunch of people who are used to regulating physical safety mm. and assume that they understand digital. You've got to get a meeting of minds. You've got to get the techies together yeah. and you've got to get the physical health and safety folks together. Um, and they've got to come up with something that is rigorous, but also workable. Yeah. But I just, I really wonder, and I'm not trying to be ornery about this, but I really wonder if we're ever actually going to get there, right? It feels like we got there with the regulatory pressure on banks um, following on from 2008, where people were like, okay, the whole system might actually collapse if we don't figure out how to take better care of it. And it just doesn't seem like people feel that there's that sort of great pressing concern, you know? I mean, even if you bring like their kids and their safety and their, you know, that whole watch thing I was just talking about, for example. Mm. I mean, just in this year alone, um, where is it? Let me find it again. This That one article I was looking at, there were one, two, three, four separate watch issues, children's sort of smartwatch issues, everything from, you know, vulnerabilities that um, help to make it into like a stalking tool, all the way into vulnerabilities where hackers could track and call the children in like the parent-child relationship, you know, all the way back to the sensitive data being exposed to these kids, you know. And if that isn't going to help to create regulations around retailer type of stuff, I mean, what's it going to take? It's <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a fair point because, you know, going back to my friend Kayla, I mean, Ken like published his initial results on that in 2015. I mean, it's going to be 2020 next month. Mm. Um, and, you know, there have been some changes and it has had an impact on certain products being retailed, you know, and it has prompted uh, some of these responses from network agencies and ombudspersons. So, you know, that's. That's great. I think, you know, it takes us back. I think you're absolutely right. It takes us back to this global thing that we are in a globalized marketplace now. Uh, You know, British standards on IoT security made sense when you could pretty much only buy stuff that was made in Britain, you know, or it was very, very expensive, you know. So if you, when you have a local market, you can control it a lot more. And it goes back to, you know, my one of my favorite topics of national sovereignty in cyberspace and, and how it's like apples and oranges, how unworkable it is to try and impose yeah. national sovereignty on a, on a global environment. I think that applies here as well, because, 
you're you're essentially saying, well, anything produced in the UK is going to be fine, but yeah, well, everyone's going to be buying their presents from China via Amazon. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I mean, people, you know, they're going to be forced to go and choose the product that they can afford. That's just how the market works. And it's great. It's great that we have those options, you know, especially where you want to get your kid or your significant other or your your bestie, whatever. You want to get them that cool thing that they want, but maybe you don't have, you know, a fortune to spend on the latest, greatest, most secured thing. And talking of which... My goodness, you know, when we when we were when we were chatting about doing this subject, I thought, you know, I'll just kind of have a look at the the top connected toys of 2019 and you know, what is everybody expecting to get in their stockings, etc. This, you know, this Christmas. My god, toys are expensive these oh, days. Some of them are insane, yeah. What the heck? Um I'm just I'm just going to buy everybody satsumas. I think it's the way to go. <laughs> oh, well, I think you just you have to be realistic about this stuff and of course some people will and some people won't be and some people, you know, um can't be <laughs> because surprise they can't even go there. Um but yeah, it it, it is definitely um it, it's definitely gotten a bit crazy on the old tech stuff and I think it goes back to um we we've gone a, a, an amazing 10 years. We've grown a lot. We've seen a lot. We've had some crazy stuff happen. Where's the next 10 years going to take us, right? So we're wrapping up end of the year. We got it coming, you know, going into 2020. Where's this next decade going to take us? Are we going to solve these problems, Vic? Uh, well, talking of which, you know, have you noticed that the um, all of the threat predictions for 2020 are already starting to come out? Oh, yeah. There's like For- Forbes has come out with a bunch today. And um, and back to um, when we had Dan on the show this, you know, early in earlier in the year um, talking about InfoSec predictions, you know, already we're, we're seeing more of the. And there'll be more of the same, and more of, <laughs> and, and more of the more of the same, and this this thing will continue. Now, as, as you know, I do a bit of cybersecurity futures, and one of the challenges of of working on futures studies is to try and account for the stuff that isn't already here. So, looking for the weak signals, right? Looking for the weak signals, right? And so, when um, you you know that we did. Um, uh, I did with with Trend Micro when I was at Europol. We did this project 2020, and and I've been reviewing that. To, it's been really fun. Uh, been reviewing that with Rick Ferguson to see what we got right, what we got wrong, what we were completely surprised by. Um, you know, and and one of the things that we didn't necessarily refer to as a thing, as a distinct thing, was AI. Because back in 2012, even folks like Gartner with their hype cycles, they didn't refer to AI. They were talking about specific tools. They were talking about, um, you you know, language translation. They were talking about, you know, very niche um, machine learning. Right. So it was much more limited. What you see in the intervening years between 2012 and now is an explosion in the hype around AI. Yeah, yeah. And that's not to say it's not justified, but like one thing you can do is you can go and have a look at the World Intellectual Property Organization that has this kind of global patent database. And you can see the point in 2014, 2015, 
where all of a sudden people start filing patents Mm -hmm. that in their scientific abstract contain the phrase artificial intelligence. Because before then, apart from movies like AI, actually in terms of real technological development, it wasn't a thing. So it's like at a certain point, machine learning got rebranded as AI. And then all of a sudden it was real. We kind of, the branding made it real. Well, uh, yeah, 100%. And you've just reminded me. So I started um, uh, listening to, because who has time to read anymore? But when I'm on the train, I got referred to an amazing book I will share. It's called AI Superpowers, um, China, Silicon Valley, and the New World Order. Uh, by oh excellent oh it's been fascinating absolutely fascinating but one of the things that they talk about in the book is the fact that all of the algorithms um around the machine learning stuff you know the stuff that feeds into ai that was all developed like you know decade two decades ago and now Mm -hmm. what we're actually witnessing is what they're calling the age of implementation of that information so what we're seeing right now is not actually like you know all these brainy data scientists coming together and coming up with new algorithms and stuff like that what we're seeing is people taking the data you know the, the machine learning and all the algorithms that were put together years and years ago and figuring out finally how to take advantage of them because we have all of this massive data and so, I was just thinking that. Right, oh, right. Well, it was again, it was like poof, mind blowing, you know. So one of the things then you talk about like all the listening devices and all the data that they're collecting, all of you know, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all the data they're collecting, you know, all these things are is basically giant feeders for mm-hmm. anybody that wants to go and, and do this age of implementation with some cool algorithm, you know, that they're working on. And so what I think is going to be interesting is in the next decade is to see where we end up as we continue to see the development of against all of this stuff. Um, there's there's stuff coming that we have yet to even imagine. I mean, that to oh, me you, you is say that, Beck. You say that, Beck, but I'm quietly imagining it in my free time. <laughs> you better write that I've got it down. all in my head. Write it down and patent it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Some of it involves thermonuclear war. You'll be unsurprised to hear. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, man. It's all fascinating stuff at the end of the day. And you know what? It's going to keep us busy, busy, busy for years to come. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It'll keep me busy over Christmas. (laughs) And on on that note, I think we probably need to wish the lovely listeners and their families a very, very... Happy Christmas and and, and see them in the new year, I guess. Yeah, I agree. Happy Christmas, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Hanukkah, Happy whatever it is you celebrate from both Vic and I to you and your loved ones. May you have the best ever. See ya. Have a good one. Bye.